Good morning and welcome to First Southern. Glad you're here with us. Um, I want you to start by grabbing your Bibles and turning to Galatians 5 and James chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with us or you don't have a Bible app on your phone, there's a Bible uh, in pretty much every other chair. Feel free to grab one of those Bibles. If you don't have a Bible at home, Grab one of those Bibles in one of those chairs and at the end of the service, tuck it under your arm and walk out the door with it Um, because we want everybody to have a Bible, especially in this season where we talk about the birth of Christ. Uh, We want you to have a a Bible where you can read about that directly. Uh, So feel free to take one of those Bibles home. Consider it a gift uh, from First Southern to you. Now, today we are getting close to the end of our nine-week series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, So far, we have covered the first seven. We're on the eighth one today out of nine. And so today we're talking about gentleness. Uh, It's the next to the last fruit of the Spirit. But gentleness is interesting. I've I've talked a lot about, um, you know, how the Greek, which is what the New Testament uh, in our Bible was written in, how the Greek and the English sometimes don't quite line up. Sometimes there's a Greek word that we really don't have an English word for, uh, or, you know, they, they just don't translate quite right. Today, we have a word that we have that big problem with. The word here in the Greek is translated in several different words, depending on your English translation, but none of them really describe what this word is. So you look at the word gentleness, that Greek word is also translated as meekness and as humility. So three different English words for one Greek word here that we find in God's word. Now, I've always thought that meekness meant that you were supposed to be reserved and, you know, soft and let just people walk all over you. That's kind of, whether that's right or wrong, that's the impression that I always got from the word meek or gentle in the biblical context. But that is actually not even close to what the Greeks actually meant by this word. And so rather than tell you a personal story, let me tell you a story that the Greeks used to describe and illustrate the word meek or gentle um, in the New Testament. So the Greeks had this word, and they used it mainly in two separate ways. The first way is gentle or meek was used to describe kings. Kings would describe themselves as being gentle or meek. And the idea was, is back in this day and time, outside of the Israelite nation, Most of the kings saw themselves either as gods or as demigods or, you know, almost gods. They saw themselves as being more powerful than the ordinary human being. And so they would describe themselves as being meek because they believed, well, I could drop lightning down on you, but I choose not to out of my meekness. So you with me so far? The other way that the Greeks would use this word is they would describe war horses as meek. And let me tell you a specific example. How many of us have ever heard of Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great, one of the greatest Greek, uh, really was the greatest Greek conqueror of ancient times. He was considered to be one of the greatest conquerors of that age uh, because he conquered more countries, more land than 
almost anybody else, probably Attila the Hun is probably the only other that conquered more than Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great had 13 cities named after him because he would conquer a nation and place a capital there and name it Alexander um, or Alexandria. And so he had all of these places, he had conquered all these things. But something that's interesting about Alexander is his war horse was almost as famous as he was. His war horse was named Bucephus. Parents, if you're looking for a name for your next child, Bucephus. I mean, doesn't it just roll off the tongue? Bucephus. So he had this war horse named Bucephus. And Bucephus, again, was almost as famous in Alexander's time as Alexander himself was. There were legends and stories and songs written about this horse outside of Alexander himself. Bucephus, you can go into Greece and there are mural depictions of this huge black horse with a white star on its forehead. That is Bucephus. Bucephus has all this writing. Josephus, who we've heard about, about Christian uh, writings, and he wrote a lot about the history of Israel. Bucephus is mentioned in Josephus's history of the world. And so Bucephus was very famous, but Bucephus was described as being gentle or meek, uh, the way we translate it in English. And the idea is when it would describe Bucephus as being meek, it would describe him as being this powerful horse that nobody could stand against, that he would trample his enemies under his feet, and he would kill as many people as Alexander himself would kill in war. He was considered to be this powerful horse that as arrows were flying past him, he showed no fear and would continue charging forward. And he fought just as many battles as Alexander fought. He just fought just a few less when he was actually killed in battle. So Bucephus, imagine this massive, black, powerful horse being described as being meek. Does that make sense in the way we understand meek as Americans speaking English? No, because meek is not power to us, but in the Greek understanding, meek meant that you had very large amounts of power, but it was under perfect control. So you go into the understanding of Bucephus and what he did. Bucephus was also described as having all this power, being completely fearless, but there was only one person who could approach Bucephus, and that was Alexander the Great himself. If anybody else attempted to go and grab the reins of Bucephus, he would trample them down and kill them. He understood that he had one master, that he had all this power and all this charge and all this fearlessness, yet only one person could keep him under control, and that was Alexander. That is the biblical understanding of gentleness and meekness. It's not that we're soft it's not that we're trampled upon. It's not that we are reserved. It's that we have unlimited power contained in perfect control. That is the biblical definition of gentleness or meekness. So let's look and see what the Bible does say about this. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, we've been in this passage uh, for many, many weeks uh, fruit of the Spirit. We're going to start in 5, verse 16. So chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enmity, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look at what verse 22 says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, as I've been saying over the last seven weeks, the idea behind studying the fruit of the Spirit is simply this, and it addresses it in verses 13 and 14 of Galatians 5, is that The desires of the flesh, in other words, our sinful desire, our temptations, are at odds. They're opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. And if we look and study what Galatians 5 has to say, it tells us very clearly that if we live in the fruit, if we're producing the fruit continually in our lives, there will be no room for the flesh. There will be no room for sin. Because if we're living in love and joy and peace and patience and all nine of the fruit, if those are being lived out in our lives, where is room for sin? There is none. And so that's the whole idea. This is about understanding what God wants for us rather than what God does not want for us. Because if we understand what God wants, we don't have to worry about what he doesn't want. Because we are producing righteousness. And again, it says that in black and white here in Galatians chapter 5. So up to this point, we've covered love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And today we're on gentleness, that idea of being a gentle or meek person. So what else does the Bible have to say about gentleness? Um, If you're someone who takes notes, I'm going to give you several passages um, and just unpack them very quickly. Uh, Write them down if you want to and study them uh, throughout this week. Uh, But the first passage is Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. And it says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Now this is Paul talking. He's literally behind bars. He is in prison for preaching the gospel. And look at what he says about this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And look at what he says about that. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now the first thing I want you to notice in this passage. Is that it lists several of the fruit of the spirit in this passage. And a couple of passages that we're going to look at this morning does that. Wherever you find one of the fruit. Many times you find the other fruit of the spirit the fruit of the spirit is not just a galatians 5 idea it's found throughout of god's word so the thing i want you to notice here is that paul is urging the people who know he's in prison 
and are probably some of them are in prison themselves. He's urging them to be an example for Christ. And how does he do that? With humility and gentleness, with patience. Think back to Paul's life. Two times in Paul's life, the Spirit, God, acts in such a powerful way that his prison doors are literally physically opened. And he walks out. One of them he walks out and a guy gets saved. And one of them the Spirit tells him to stay. But the fact of the matter is, is Paul knew that he had all this power. And he was self-contained because he was in submission to the Holy Spirit and his leading. Look at what 2 Timothy says, the next passage. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24 through 26. It says, and the Lord's servant... Or, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Look at what it says there. The one who's following God, if he has opponents, if he encounters people who are opposed to God, he is called to correct, but how is he supposed to do that? With gentleness. And we're going to see that again in the next passage. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 14 through 17 says this, but even if you should offer, should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ as Lord, as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, catch what it says, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if it should be God's will than for doing evil. The whole idea here in this passage is he's saying somebody at some point is going to come to you and ask you why you have this hope. They're going to ask you about Jesus Christ. And in that moment, we are called to be able to give a defense, but in a very specific way. It says here in 1 Peter 3, when we are approached and we have to defend our faith, we do that defense in gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect, that meekness and the respect of the person we're speaking with, that's how we share the gospel with others. When they ask us why we believe in Christ, this is the method we use, according to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now let me unpack this for just a minute. I'm not always right. Shocking, I know. But when I'm in error, when I'm not making the right decision, or I'm wrong about something that I'm doing or saying, would I rather be corrected in punishment or would I rather be corrected by somebody coming to me in meekness and with respect for me to do the correcting? Which is more desired? Gentleness and respect, right? I don't want somebody to come to me saying, you're wrong, I'm right, here's your punishment. I would rather have somebody come and say, Chad, I think you're off here and then explain the situation. That is more effective for breaching me and changing my mind than doing so aggressively and painfully. 
But all too many times, we as Christians get lazy in the way that we share the gospel because it's easier to be aggressive. It's easier to push than it is to be restrained and have gentleness and respect with the person we're speaking with. So that's the next thing. The last passage is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. It says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The idea here, guys, is there is a Greek word that in our English translations, it's translated to either gentleness, meekness, or humility. That's the way our English kind of wraps those up. And all three express an element of that gentleness, meekness, or humility, but they don't completely describe what the Greek word actually meant. Our English just doesn't have a word for that. And so the idea here is that meekness is perfect power under perfect control. We have all the power in the universe, don't we? If you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That is God. And God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-present, unchanging. And because He is all-power, you have the capacity through the Spirit to channel that power. But ultimately, that power has to be used in an appropriate, controlled way. That is meekness. That is gentleness. That's what is meant by this word, is that we have all of this power through God, but we use it in a way that is in submission to God's will and God's desires. And we have to understand and listen to what his will and desires are for our lives. We have to be like Bucephus. We have to be that war horse for the Lord that could literally do anything for God and has the power to do anything for God but waits on God's permission to do those things. So, let's look at an example of meekness in the Bible. I think the perfect example is Jesus. Jesus himself was the son of God and literally could do anything he wanted. He could change creation. He could say while he was on the cross, he could call out and ask for a legion of angels and those angels would come down and heal him perfectly and take him away. He didn't have to do the suffering. But because he had perfect power that was in perfect control under his father, he bore that pain and suffering. And he died on that cross because he knew without his sacrifice, we could not be forgiven of our sins. The fact of the matter is, is that his meekness, his gentleness, is the reason we are saved. It's the reason we have access to salvation, because he was willing to hold back that power that he had, to not cry out and command the angels to save him. He held that back in meekness so that he would endure the cross and die for our sins. Guys, that's a big deal. That's huge. And he calls us in the same light to be meek with those around us. Knowing that we have this power, but it's under his perfect control. Now, let's also look at other elements of Jesus' life. Was, je was Jesus 
passive or shy or reserved? Absolutely not. He confronted the religious leaders who were leading Israel wrongly. He confronted them boldly, did he not? He called them out. We know a couple of instances where he went into the temple courts and looked around and saw people taking advantage of those coming to sacrifice and to worship. And what did he do? He makes a whip and starts turning tables. That's still meekness. Because it was that power that was not unleashed until he had permission from God his Father. Meekness is not being shy or reserved or soft. Meekness is having power that's in perfect control. That's what gentleness and meekness is. So, let's be honest. That's hard. So let's look at our main passage today to see what we need to do. James chapter 3 It's where we're going to be the rest of the morning. James chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 13. Now, as you're turning there, James chapter 3 is kind of known, the first part of it is all about James telling us about how dangerous our tongues are. And he uses this uh, illustration of talking about how small the tongue is, yet it's one of the more powerful parts of our body, that we can worship God and in the same breath curse men, And hurt them. And James makes the comment, this should not be. He said, we shouldn't act this way. We need to learn, and he uses the term, taming our tongues. Okay? Now think about it. A war horse had to be tamed. If you're you're somebody who have ever been around horses, a horse has to be broken. A horse has to be put in submission to its master. And if you go back, you can Google it. If you go back and read Alexander the Great's Chronicles about Bucephus, it talks about how no one could tame Bucephus. He was such a wild and strong horse that no one could break him. But Alexander did it. And Bucephus submitted to Alexander and Alexander only. The fact of the matter is, is that our tongues are that same way. They're they're unbridled, wild war horses that need to be put under control. So that's what he ha- James has just spoken about before we get into this passage. So James chapter 3, in verse 13, this is what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By this good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now we're going to come back to that idea because that's an interesting phrase, the meekness of wisdom. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be soft, false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. He's talking about that uh, envy and selfish ambition. Verse 16 For where, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, remember what he said about wisdom, that We are to live in the meekness of wisdom. Look at how he describes wisdom here in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Isn't that an interesting description of wisdom? But think about what he's saying for just a moment. He is warning against... Jealousy 
and selfish ambition. He's saying those are not wisdom. As a matter of fact, selfish ambition and jealousy are the opposite of wisdom. He goes as far to call them um, unspiritual and demonic. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? I don't know that James could have used more harsh terms, a harsh term, than saying that jealousy and selfish ambition are demonic and unspiritual. I don't know that he could have used a harsher critique of those attributes of our character. And he says, avoid them, be away from them, because they are ungodly, they are unspiritual, they are heathen, they are filled with everything against God. But then he says, live in wisdom. And he had referred to it before, the meekness of wisdom, and he describes it by calling out the characteristics of that wisdom. And he says that it's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, let me ask you an honest question. Are any of those attributes easy for us? No. Do they come naturally? Does being pure come naturally to us? No. Does being peaceable with those around us, does that come naturally? No. None of the attributes of the meekness of wisdom are things that just naturally come out of us. It's the first thing we want to do. Rather, the meekness of wisdom has to be an intentional lifestyle. It has to be something that we consciously decide to live by. That's that meekness, that idea of we have all this wisdom, we have all this power, but I will submit that power and all that wisdom to God's authority. And I will use it for his glory. And so, how do we avoid that selfish ambition? How do we live in a way that's not filled with jealousy and selfish ambition? So here's my statement for this week. If you haven't heard anything I've said, I want you to stop what you're doing and look up. I want you to hear this one statement because this, I believe, is what the Bible teaches about this wisdom aspect and gentleness. Here's what it is. Gentleness will rearrange towards life change. Gentleness will rearrange toward life change. Notice the rhyme there? Rearrange, life change. <laughs> okay. The idea being is that if we live as gentle and meek the way God defines it, not as we as English-speaking Americans understand it, but how God defines it, if we will live like that, that gentleness will rearrange our entire being to make us the people that we want to be. We have to understand that we have all the power through the Spirit, but that power has to be in full submission to the power of God, to the authority that God has over us. We have to know our place. We have to understand that we are not the ones making the calls. God is the one making the calls. And we have to listen carefully to his direction in our life so that we are in line with him and we're living in the wisdom that James chapter 3 speaks about. If you want to be wise, seek to be gentle. Seek to be meek. In today's world, that's not easy. But my encouragement is be a war horse for Jesus. Keep in mind what a Greek understanding of a war horse. Be that Bucephus for Jesus that powerful being that everybody looks at and respects because of the power that's in perfect control. Power unleashed and unbridled is wild 
and it's unhealthy. It's destructive. But when we have power and it's kept appropriately and it's kept under the submission of God, it's respected by those around us. Think about this statement. Have you ever heard somebody describe someone and say, man, they never say anything, but when they do speak, you better stop and listen because they, they know what they're saying. Have you ever had somebody in your life that was like that? My dad was like that. He didn't say a whole lot, but when he did say something, everybody stopped and listened because he just, every time he spoke, it was either first off hilarious or second of all, it was just filled with wisdom. He was one of those guys that exuded meekness. He had all this wisdom and knowledge from life experience and people would stop and listen to him when he did finally speak out that wisdom out of his meekness. He knew when it was appropriate to say something and when it was not. That's what being gentle and meek is. Don't be that person that claims to know Jesus but you just let everything go out of control and nobody respects and everybody avoids. Don't be that person. Be the person that understands who should be dictating your actions. Be that person so that others will come to know Jesus and the salvation that can only be found in him. So, are you a person of gentleness? If you have questions about that, whether or not you do or not, I think a great exercise for all of us would be take James chapter 3, verse 17, and go write it down and post it somewhere this week. And just look at that. Am I a pure person? Am I peaceable? You know, look through that list of what meek wisdom is and ask yourself daily, am I living this out? And change the areas where you're not and live in the areas where you are. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are. And God, we thank you for the wisdom that you provide that is meek, that understands that we have all the power in the world, but that power is in perfect submission to your authority, to your control. Lord, help us to live like that. Help us to live in such a way that people look at us and want what we have. Help us to hear your spirit and follow the guiding that it gives us. Help us to live out James 3, 17, so that we can be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. We thank you so much, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.